You are listening to a Whitebridge Baptist Church sermon podcast. Would you take your Bibles now and turn to the book of Philippians? Philippians chapter 1. And we're going to be reading from verse 27 to chapter 2, verse 11. Philippians chapter 1, beginning in verse 27. And if you're able to stand with me, please stand now and let's hear God's word. Whatever happens, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. And then whether I come and see you or only hear about you in my absence, I will know that you stand firm in one spirit, contending as one man for the faith of the gospel, without being frightened in any way by those who oppose you. This is a sign to them that they will be destroyed, but that you will be saved, and that by God. For it has been granted to you on behalf of Christ, not only to believe on him, but also to suffer for him, since you are going through the same struggle you saw I had, and now hear that I still have. Chapter 2, verse 1. If you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from His love, if any fellowship with the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and purpose. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility consider others better than yourselves. Each of you should look not only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others." Your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but he made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. May God bless his word. Thank you. You may be seated. Before we jump into the text, I'd like to just share a bit of history. And it'll help us to understand a little bit of of, uh, some of Paul's language we can thank the Roman Empire for the, the uh, development of many roads and, and trade routes. That was one of the biggest achievements of them. Uh, Alexander the Great, of course, started it prior to their uh, extending it. And those roads were critical for a number of reasons. Some were very obvious. The most obvious one really is the whole aspect of communication. Today, when we want to communicate with someone far away or around the globe, we have phone calls and emails, Facebook, tweeting, messaging, and there's a whole dozen, probably dozens of uh, ways of communicating around the globe. But in the time of the Roman Empire, and when Paul is writing, there was only, there was only one way, and that was through messengers. They, they would send runners, and it would take hours or even days to get a message or news of some item to another place in the Roman Empire. For example, in 44 BC, Julius Caesar was assassinated by some of the members of the Senate who thought they were liberators of Rome. And two years later, his heirs, his nephew actually, Mark Antony and Octavian, confronted the assassins in what has become known as the Battle of Philippi. And the reason for that is because it was was fought on the fields west of the city, the ancient city of Philippi. 
And when the, the battle took place in 42 BC, these, these two nephews uh, approached the assassins and two different battles were fought at the same time. And the interesting thing was that uh, Brutus and Cassius, these two people that were, were, had assassinated Julius Caesar, were fighting and the one thought that the other had, had, uh, had been defeated and so he committed suicide. And, and that was all because of a messenger that went and told them, your brother's losing the battle, you know. And, and it, was, it was all a hoax. It was all false. Well, the, both armies retreated. Two weeks later, they met back on the battlefield. And this time, Brutus, losing the battle, also committed suicide. And so what happened was that the whole area of Philippi was retained under Roman Republic. And so Philippi, that's how Philippi became a Roman colony. And so that's what it's called when Paul is, is talking about it, or Luke, I'm sorry, in Acts chapter 16, he calls this city of Philippi in Europe a Roman colony, and that's how it became a Roman colony, with all of the rights and privileges and responsibilities of the Roman Empire. And so then later on, Paul is, is doing a missionary trip, and he, he extends his missionary journeys to cross over into Europe, and the first place that he visits is Philippi. He plants a church there. We read about it in Acts chapter 16. And 10 years later now, he's writing the letter of Philippians that we have in our Bibles. We have this in our Bibles. We're seeing what Paul writes to them. And what his concern is, is that they're, they're walking firm in the faith. Now, this is the key, is that Paul also depended on messengers, okay? Just like the ancient world did in every sphere. Paul is, is under house arrest in Rome, shackled to a Roman soldier, but he had his way of keeping tabs on the churches and all the believers. And whether it was Timothy or Titus or Silas, in this case, it was a man named Epaphroditus. He would get regular reports on how the churches were doing, even though he is under stocks in, in Rome, far away. And so when we read verse 27 of, of Philippians chapter 1, we see that his utmost concern as he is listening these reports, his utmost concern is, I want to know, I want to know that you stand firm in the faith, contending as one man for the faith of the gospel. See, he wants to know that what he started is continuing on, and that, that God is continuing to grow his church. So the question that Paul is answering is the question that we're asking this morning in our sermon. The question is, how can we know if someone is standing firm in their faith in Christ? I spoke with a man yesterday that uh, hasn't been in church for ages, um, grew up in a Sunday school, understands the gospel, knows Christ, he says. But he says, I'm not standing firm in the faith. I don't know if Jesus came today, if I would go to heaven or not. How do you know if you're standing firm in the faith? And I think that Paul, in this passage of Scripture that we've read, gives three indicators that are signs of authentic faith, okay? Signs of authentic faith. How do we know? And let's take a look at them now. Paul begins, starting in verse 27, by talking about the most external part of the onion, if we would use that illustration. The most visible thing about any one of us is our conduct. And so Paul starts by saying that one of the key indicators of authentic faith is conduct that is worthy of the gospel of Christ. And um, 
The proof is in the pudding, as the, as, the, as the saying goes. A tree is known by its fruit. Actions speak louder than words. The external behavior is an indicator of an internal reality, or it's not. And so Paul talks about the conduct. Verse 27, whatever happens, whether I get to come to you one day or not, whatever happens, live out your lives, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy. Let's take a look at the words that Paul chooses. The word conduct here. The word conduct is actually a word that literally means live as citizens. He uses it one more time in Philippians chapter 3 verse 20 when he says our citizenship is in heaven. And so clearly what Paul is doing here, he's making a subtle reference to the history of Philippi as a Roman colony that gained citizenship in Rome even though they were miles away from the capital. Okay, And even though they were surrounded by barbarian tribes. Here is little Roman colony Philippi. And Paul is using this as an illustration to say that you should be living as citizens of the gospel of Jesus Christ. As citizens of heaven. So just as Philippi was a Roman colony governed by a non-resident emperor, we... As Christians, he is saying, are governed by a non-resident emperor, Jesus Christ. Just as Philippi was governed and structured after Roman law, he, he is inferring that we, as believers in Jesus Christ, are governed and structured according to the word of God, the law of God. And, and just as, as we might, in our living and living it out and authenticating the gospel, will irritate some of those in the world that are not going to submit to God's rule, so also we saw that the many of the northern and tribes around Philippi would constantly raid that colony because they, they hated the fact that Italian settlers were brought from another place and settled in that land which was rich and fertile. Even silver and gold was found there. And so the six years, in fact, six years before Paul visits Philippi is the last known recorded raid by the northern tribe of Thrace. The Thracians would come and they would raid this Roman colony. And they, did, they could not stand that this little place got the privileges and the protection and the status of a Roman colony. And so that's a picture of us as Christians. Paul is using that. We have a citizenship. And Paul is saying, live out your citizenship. Conduct yourselves in a, in a manner that is worthy of the gospel of Christ. And so that's uh, the, the second the word that we're going to be talking about now. The word worthy. We spoke about it when we were going through Ephesians this past summer. Chapter 4, verse 1 of Ephesians. Paul says, live um, in a manner worthy of the gospel. And so this word worthy in the Greek text is the word axios. Where we get our word axiom from. And an axiom is a self-evident truth. When you say an axiom, it's absolutely logical. You don't need to be convinced of it. An axiom is, for example, a fair day's pay for a fair day's work. It's a self-evident truth. It makes sense. And Paul is saying, conduct yourselves in a way that is worthy. Make your life a self-evident 
truth that you belong to that citizenship in heaven, that you belong to Jesus Christ. Authenticate your gospel and your lordship in Jesus' name with the life that you live. That's what Paul's teaching here. It's an incredible set of words that Paul puts together. He makes it more explicit in chapter 2 when he starts in verse 3 to explain what a worthy life looks like. So he says things like this, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but instead consider others better than yourselves. Look not only to your own interests, but look out for the interests of others. You see, if you really unpack those things, if you really live like that, that is radical. That, that is absolutely radical. You and I are absolutely selfish. Our knee-jerk reaction to life and circumstance and everyday need is to look out for our own needs first and our own interests. But he's saying that with Jesus Christ in your life, you can actually look out for the interests of others. You can put aside your ways and you can live a radical and Christian life. You know, it's interesting, this past week, a couple of weeks ago, I, I, I put on my iPhone a playlist and I, and I put Handel's Messiah on about a week ago. And, I, and I've been just, every time I get in the truck, I plug it in and, I, and it goes back to the last song that's been playing in Handel's Messiah. But for some reason, this week, I don't know why, Maybe for this illustration. For some reason, it got stuck on the song, All we like sheep have gone astray, you know. And each of us has turned to his own way, and the Lord has laid upon him the iniquity of the Lord. And so I go forward one song. Starts up again, All we like sheep. I go back a song to try and see that. All we like, you know. I can't get rid of this song. I don't know what's wrong. Someone want to teach me about playlists afterwards? You can. The point I'm making is that over and over again this week, I've been reminded each of us has turned to his own way. That's us, friends. That's us. We are selfish beings. And it takes a radical transformation of our hearts if we're going to be different. And it's Jesus Christ and his presence alone that can do that. That's the spirit of Jesus. And so Paul is teaching us here that we can live out of this ethic. We're talking about ancient Philippi, so why don't we use another illustration from that. In the 4th century BC, the city of ancient Philippi got its name from the father of Alexander the Great, Philip. And in the 4th century BC, he founded and established that that community called Philippi. Later on, the Romans took it over. But there's a story that's told about Alexander the Great. One day, apparently, one of his young soldiers was caught retreating in battle. And if you know anything about the history of Alexander the Great, you did not retreat on Alexander the Great. And so he was summoned to appear before the great general himself. And here's this young soldier quaking in his boots. And he's standing before the general himself, Alexander the Great. And Alexander the Great says to the, the lad, he says, what is your name, son? And the, and the boy responds, and, he, and it happened to be Alexander. And so he said, Alexander. A second time, the general says, what is your name, son? 
He responded again, Alexander. The third time he says, what is your name, son? And, and in half whimpering whispers, he said, Alexander. And then Alexander the Great stepped forward and said to the young soldier, then either change your name or change your conduct. You see, we're called Christians. We say we're Christ ones. I'm a follower of Jesus. And yet our conduct has to reflect and authenticate who he is. You see, we have to do that. We can't be walking hypocrites. We can't be living lies. We can't shame the name. So that's what Paul's saying here. He's saying, there's nothing that would make me more happy than just to know that we walk, you walk firmly in the faith. And the first way that you can observe if someone is walking firmly in their faith, it's their conduct. It's their conduct. That's how we do it. Let's move on to the second one. It's not just conduct that's observable. It's also attitude. Some of you might want to argue with me on this. Those that are teachers and parents may not. I think attitude is observable as well. And so Paul, in chapters 2, 5 to 11, perhaps one of the most beautiful passages that describe Christ, he is teaching here that attitude also reflects and is observable about how we stand firm, and it's got to reflect the humility of Christ. And the attitude word here that's used in verse 5 in the Greek text is an incredible word, used several times by Paul. And it's interesting because different translations in the context it's used will will translate it differently, but it, it has more to do than just mind or even attitude. It has to do with a disposition. It has to do with a, a, a mindset. It has to do with a bias, a leaning. It has to do with something that is deeper than just kind of attitude even. So when he talks about it, he, he says, well, this is what the attitude of Christ looks like. Being in very nature God, he put aside those rights. He made himself nothing. He took the nature of a servant. He was found in human likeness, and then he humbled himself all the way to going to the cross. See, that's what is described as an attitude. This self-outpouring, humbling, take the servant, pick up your cross and follow Jesus attitude. It's a life disposition. And so Paul is saying that this is the way you should be. This is who you have in you. So when you think about that, is there any reason why we should be having disputes and in our, in our midst, if we're adorning this attitude? What should this be teaching us? I think, maybe think of it this way. Can you imagine Jesus waking up in the morning and being in a grumpy mood and growling at somebody at the, dinner t- at the breakfast table? Can you imagine Jesus that way? No, I can't. So, so then why, why are you that way sometimes? Can you imagine Jesus for a moment getting angry at a store clerk? I can't. I can't imagine Jesus doing that. Well, why do you do it? Why do I do it sometimes? Do you think that that we're meant to go through life and not have injustices against us? When our Lord himself was faced with so many injustices? Can you imagine Jesus um, getting up in the morning and looking outside and saying, Ah, this day sucks. I'm going back to bed. I mean, I can't imagine Jesus being that way. Why are we 
Why do we give ourselves permission to be that way? Can you imagine Jesus pouting because he didn't get his way and then giving someone the silent treatment for the rest of the day? I can't imagine Jesus doing that. Why do we do it? Let this attitude, this disposition, this deep-seated bent of life, let it be so upon you that, that you actually live it out like Jesus. Let this attitude be in you. Attitude is like the deep rivers of our lives that we think are underground hidden currents. But you see, we deceive ourselves because our attitudes surface. The underground rivers come out. They come out in our eyes, in our body language, in our tone of voice, in our avoidance techniques, in our assumptions that we make, our biases, and hundreds of other ways. Our attitudes are observable in our lives. This passage in chapter 2, 1 to 11, was the passage that Pat and I memorized and recited to each other on our wedding day, 31, I think, years ago. She's not here right now, so that's good. <laughs> and, and we stood and we recited this. And I remember our, the, the gentleman that spoke at, at, our, at our wedding, John Bonk, a professor at the time that we loved and now still lives in Winnipeg. John Bonk stood and he, he said to me at one point in his sermon, he turned to me, Pat's over here, he turned to me and he said, Terry, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. But in humility, consider Pat better than yourself. Terry, you should look not only to your own interests, but also to the interests of Pat. Terry, your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus. And, I, I, and I'm, I'm just receiving this and thinking, when are you going to talk to Pat about that too? You know? <laughs> but see, that's the attitude. There's nothing like marriage to bring about this rubbing off of all the rough edges. There's nothing like relationships, which is our next point. Relationships that rub off the rough edges. So, another way of standing firm in the faith is shown in our relationships. They also must evidence the unity of the Spirit of Christ, which flows directly out of the attitude and the conduct that is worthy. Take a look at verses 1 to 4, and if you wanted to, I'm not suggesting you need to, but if you want to understand the first four ifs of that chapter better, you might want to substitute the word since. So you'd read it this way, since you have encouragement from being united with Christ, and since you have comfort from His love, and since you have fellowship with the Spirit, and since you have tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded and so on. You see, the point Paul's making is that you, as if you're a Christ follower, you have this. If the Spirit of God lives in you, you have this. Well, then live it out. Authenticate. Let, let this be seen in the way that you live it out. Friends, this passage of Scripture, I have, as I said, for 31 years, I've memorized it. We go over it every year. And I still think I'm just dabbling in its shores I feel like i got such a long way to go. When I think about these banners that are up here, and it says from Philippians chapter 1, verse 6 here, He who began the good work in you, and then over here on the right, will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. I think about myself, and I think, oh, there's such a great distance between those two. What Christ started in me years ago in my youth, and what He's going to do finish, I feel like I've got so far to go. 
when I think about these things. But I tell you, the, the things that I look to to know and to have assurance that I am living out an authentic faith. Number one, what is my conduct? Number two, what is the deep attitude of my life and how is it lived out in service? And number three, in the arena of relationships, how am I doing? Am I leaving behind me a wake of of dissolved and broken and hurting people and relationships? Or am I restorative? Am I going back and saying, I want God to redeem everything about me, including my past relationships? So as we conclude, let's stand together. And I would ask you to pray with me. And just let's pray for these three things in our own lives. Father God, we we come before you and we want to be worthy of the great name of Jesus Christ. The name that is above every name. And Lord, I pray that in our conduct we would be worthy citizens of your kingdom, though we live here out on earth. I pray that in our attitudes, Lord, we would show that we belong to you, that we are We are ready to lay down our rights in order for you to be exalted. And Lord, I pray that in our relationships, people might see the winsomeness and the beauty and the gentleness of the Holy Spirit in us. Would you have your way with us, God? And we thank you for time in your word today. Bless the rest of this day as we prepare for the week. Lord Jesus, we give it to you in your name. Amen. God bless you. Go in peace.